coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Charlie. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and joining me today in the Glory UGA studio in the heart of the Bulldog Nation here in Athens, Georgia, to help me clean out the Week 7 mailbag is my coach, Charlie. And Charlie, all right, I know you've been there many times for games before. It's probably, what, your sixth or seventh time in Lexington? I mean, I don't keep count, it's been probably. A, yeah, it's been a ton, right? So this is nothing new to you, but I've got to get your official review of your pandemic trip to Lexington, which was, I mean, for me, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but for me, it was different, but still, still pretty great. Still pretty great. I know you weren't thrilled about the cold going into it, but how'd the weekend turn out for you? It was good. The bars and restaurants weren't as crowded, which was kind of nice because you didn't have people standing over you. Until, well, I, I will say around 11, 10, uh, 10 or 11, they started to get a little bit more packed, but... There, right. but still nothing like you would normally see. No, it and, was good. Yeah, good time. It was a little cold. Our seats were in the shade at first, and then I was stalking. And then I can I convinced you to come over yeah. to the sun. I was staring to make sure there was a spot after halftime in the sun, and I moved. Very I told quickly. you. I don't know. What, I don't know what took you so long to get over there in the first place. Yeah, it was cold. Well, you Just know, a masochist. You know, it was, it was in such an exciting game. I didn't want to miss any of it. So exciting! What a game! What a game! We won, right? But yeah, I'm with you. It was a, it was a good trip. It was a good trip. You, you, normally, I stay at a place called the Campbell House, which is closer to the stadium. It's not quite downtown. It's not far from downtown. When you kind of just take an Uber into town, but obviously with the whole pandemic situation and COVID, it was just easier to stay downtown. So it's actually the first time I stayed downtown in Lexington for a football game. Stayed at the Hilton right across from Rupp, and uh, it was fun. It's, it's walkable. Good running, good restaurants, good bars, not super crowded, which was, I mean, I, I kind of like the vibe, the energy that comes with the crowd, but still, good time, fun time. Uh, Try a new bar. I know you were excited that you did not have to go to Buffalo Wild Wings after the game. Yeah, not for, my favorite. Yeah, for those of you who've been to Lexington, you know what we're talking about. If you haven't, like, there's just, like, there's a lot of great bars and restaurants in downtown Lexington. There's just not, like, a ton of sports bars, and... If you were hanging out with me after the game, then there has to be a sports bar involved, like an actual sports bar where I can watch other games, not just like one TV. I want multiple televisions, lots of televisions, muchos televisiones. Uh, I don't think I said that right, but uh, <laughs> a lot of TVs. And so we tried the, the KS Bar and Grill, which was right down the street from the uh, the Buffalo Wild Wings, which I know you hate. Why do you like? What is what is your beef with Buffalo Wild Wings? It's just sterile. Well, you don't like chains in general. And the food is not that. I don't really like their food. It's The food's not great. I, look, I don't like chain restaurants any more than the next guy. I mean, they're fine, but, I mean, they have a ton of TVs, and that's like my number one priority. Right, but for, you found a place that's better. Yeah, actually better. Much better food. Yeah, good stuff. Of course, stuff. it's always embarrassing when you... When they try to seat us at a table when we're with you, and then you say, "Oh, well, actually, that's not good enough. We need more." Well, when they're gonna try to put us in the very back of the of the restaurant with literally no TV viewage at all, defeats the purpose of being there. So I'm sorry. It just happens every. It was my birthday weekend. I'm going. My husband does it too. It's it's just yeah. He knows what's up. You guys yeah. got to watch the games. Why? Yeah. I mean, I can go anywhere else in the country if I want to just sit in a restaurant. With I was just visions. happy to be warm at that point. Yeah, it was not. It wasn't that cold once you came into the sun. No, it was cold Friday night, but Saturday was fine. Yeah, unless you were sitting windy. in the. Sh- well, I mean, yeah, in the shade. 
Yeah, it's still windy. Yeah, I that's mean, fine. It was fine. It was fun. It was a good trip. It was a good trip. Glad you got to go. Glad it was fun. But uh, all right, real quick, before we get into all the questions this week, we have a ton of good questions like we always do. But Charlie, you said before the show that you have something you want to get off your chest. You you normally don't even, you kind of just go with the flow. You don't really like to like, get involved in what's going to be thrown on the show. But today you came to me and you're like, can we please talk about what happened with the Florida-Missouri game? So what do you need to get off your chest? Here's your chance. Why is Dan Mullen not suspended from coaching as well? Why? He, Why? Well, he started the whole thing, right? Exactly. So if, okay, coaches are supposed to be the leaders and have high expectations. And I was just reading a quote from Hudson Mason, who was calling the game, and said that if coach, if Dan Mullen is your coach and I see my coach do that, well, then it pretty much justifies the players doing it too. Because he, he was unhinged. He lost yeah. his mind out there. You can't ex- – yeah, you gotta be a leader. You gotta. Yeah, I I get it. You get mad. You're irate, but but you can't be a child, right? And if I'm a parent of a current mm-hmm. player mm-hmm. or a recruit, a recruit more importantly, if I'm a recruiter, if I'm a parent of a recruit, there's no way I would let my son go to the University of Florida under well, Dan Mullen. There's just no way. Yeah. You can't. No, because he's basically saying it's okay to fight, and I mean, it's not. Yeah. Because in the real world, you do that, you're going to get arrested, and you yeah. get thrown in jail. And what he did to, to instigate that was bad enough. But then, did you see him come out after everybody got into the yes. locker room? Come out like like he was a WWE wrestler, like pumping oh. the crowd up, like pumping his fist. And I'm like, oh my god, what are you doing? You yeah. Quasimodo, I, I, I might, Joker. I might be in the minority, but. Can you imagine? I, would, I would rather never win a national championship Oof. and not have that be my coach. Well, Dan Mullen's not winning national championships. I'm just saying, so. like, if I had to pick between the two, I would not want to be associated with anything. Can like you ever that. like? I know Kirby's intense. He's intense, and you know he. I don't think he's going out and swinging. Well, Kirby, fists. can you match him ever doing anything like that? No, absolutely never. not. Like boom, MF or after the Rose Bowl is one judgment, thing. judgment, critical thinking. Yeah. You can't just do that. Just not being a loser. I'm sorry. I don't like to. I don't like to throw that word around. But like Dan Mullen has this massive inferiority complex, and he's just an oddball kind of dude anyway. So it, when you throw those two things together, it just makes this kind of like cringeworthy type human right. being. Right, and when you are supposed to be a role model to not only your players, but like he's a he's basically a local cele- he's a he's a celebrity yeah you can't be doing that kids want to grow up and be a football coach like Dan Mullen you can't do that kind of his thing. eyes at like when they were talking to him like when he came back out after the whole thing happened like it reminded me of the first, his press conference after we beat them in 2018 for the first time when we destroyed them like he had these his eyes were like like bulging out of his head and it's like dude what is going on in your brain are you okay and I think the answer is no he's not okay well and then interesting that he goes to the total opposite end of the spectrum and comes out in a star what character is that darth vader darth vader sorry i know you have you seen a star wars movie yes which one i don't know so i've the, seen like the last two maybe but you didn't see like the original three i couldn't tell you what happened i'm pretty sure i took a nap who is luke skywalker he's the young son of, of darth vader oh, what is a jedi they're like the guys the in the white um, robot-looking things. The white robot-looking things are the Jedis? Yeah. Right? Sure. We'll, we'll go I with that. Don't I, I don't have time to explain it to you, but we'll go with that. 
But no, and then he like does a total 180 and comes out for his press conference in a Darth Vader costume. I mean, I know it's Halloween, but like... He's just weird. I don't know. Maybe he just wants a lot of media attention because he's certainly getting it. So it's, maybe he, that's it's his... It's an inferiority complex. I guess that's his prerogative. I don't know. But I, I'm glad that I'm a dog fan and not... A Gator fan this week. Remember sure. when we were concerned? Like I was concerned about like when when Rick got fired that McGarry might go after Dan Mullen because of his ties with him at Florida. Like I was concerned about that. And I actually mentioned that to you back way back when. Now and even back then you're like, oh my god, please no. Like yeah. even when he was Mississippi State, you kind of had those feelings about him, and now it's just like increased a hundredfold at Florida. Yeah, I'm just glad that Kirby Smart is our coach. Yeah, we'll go with that. I know a lot of fans are happy with him right now. But, I mean, guys, we have it pretty good. Kirby, I'm not, I'm not saying he's perfect, but, like... Everybody's got their ups and downs. Well, I mean, we've had a lot of ups. I mean, exactly. He's made, like, you, you can argue the quarterback situation. That's certainly fair. But, I mean, look, uh, Kirby's smart. Like, hey, he gets paid a lot of money to make those decisions. I don't want to make those decisions. I mean, who else do you want to see? Like, Nick Saban? I mean, yeah. like, uh, outside of Nick Saban. And Nick Saban's old now. I mean, how long has he got left to coach? I would just oh. be jealous every day. That well, Nick Saban's eat, a Terminator. He little Debbie every day for breakfast. I mean, I'm already jealous. Yeah, anyway, I don't want to go in that rabbit hole. But, yeah, I'll I just say I, I'm happy with our guy. I'm happy. I'm so thankful that Dan Mullen is not our coach. Regardless of what happens on on Saturday, they might beat us. But I'm just so... So thankful that Kirby Smart is our guy. And all, and not, and, oh, and then only two players are suspend, got ejected and are suspended for yeah, the first half. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure somebody at the SEC office just didn't want to watch the tape 50 times and write down I mean, the it was numbers a brawl. of the players. Right. So you can't sit here and tell me that those were the only two that threw punches for fighting, which is what was in the rule book or whatever. Yeah, and, no. and Dan Mullen got what he got, he got fined twenty five thousand dollars while universities are getting fined a hundred thousand dollars for code violations for not wearing your mask properly on the sideline. Yeah. Come on, come on. I want to know what the AD said. Probably nothing. I exact and there and there you go. I mean, top, probably nothing. Top down, top down. There's not high expectations. Probably nothing. It's yeah. It was a joke. It's an absolute joke. I mean, I'm honestly, were you living? I was kind of surprised the SEC actually followed through on their bylaws and actually suspended anybody. Well, I think they had to for the ones that got ejected because they knew because well, it's in the Bible. That, but they, but you can't tell me that while they were watching that they weren't like, oh, maybe we need to watch that sure. again for player number I don't know fifty eight whatever. Just yeah, you can't. No. Agreed, agreed. It was it was it was a joke, absolute joke. So, I, I, are you, do you feel good now? Got that off your chest? I mean, now I'm just annoyed, but yeah. Okay, you feel good. All right. Hopefully, God, please don't let us lose this guy. Please, I never ever want to lose this guy. God. God, please no. Anyway, we'll, we'll talk about that the rest of this week. But we do have a ton of questions to get to like we do each and every week. So let's get to it. Charlie, what do you got for us today? With the first question, Jared is looking ahead to the cocktail party. He asks, is there any hope that the dogs can pull out a miracle and beat Florida this week? After last week's game and all the injuries, he just doesn't see any way it can happen. He wants you to tell him that he is wrong. Well, ask and you shall receive, Jared. Look, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that we are going to win this football game. I'm not going to guarantee that. I don't feel that way. I I think there's certainly a a chance that we can win this game. Absolutely, we can win this game. But I can also say that I'm not near as confident as I was even like two weeks ago. Heck, I'm not near as confident as I was two minutes before kickoff on Saturday against Kentucky. There's a lot that's happened since kickoff on Saturday. So no, I'm certainly not as confident as I was in in the preseason, as I was at the beginning of the season, as I was two weeks ago, as I was before kickoff on Saturday. I'm not as confident as I was. I I will be honest about that. But I still think it's 
a little bit of a stretch to, to say it would take a miracle for us to beat Florida this week. I don't think that we are a lost cause by any stretch of the imagination. And yes, there is certainly hope that we can pull off this win. I, I'm not going to say pull off this miracle because I don't think it would be a miracle. I still think that we are the more talented team, injuries or not. I still think we had the more talented roster. And I will definitely cover this a lot more in depth on the official game preview show later on this week. But just to give you a little tease on what we're going to be talking about on that show, to give you a little bit of hope here early on in the cocktail party week, first off, Florida is just not good on either line of scrimmage. Whether it's their defensive front or their offensive front, they are just not good along the line of scrimmage. And right now, I think that's the strength of our team. Now, certainly with Jordan Davis potentially being out, I, I was assuming that he was going to be out because what I had heard was it was a fractured elbow. Kirby kind of threw some cold water on that idea at his Monday press conference. He didn't say officially he was going to play, but he certainly didn't come out and say he's not going to play. He said that we're we're not sure he's day-to-day was the phrase he used. We're going to see if we can get a brace on his elbow. So I don't know that situation there, but if he's not 100%, if he doesn't play, that certainly is a blow to our defensive front. And, and Julian Rochester, who's not a dominant player, never really has been, but he's certainly a veteran presence a guy that would back up at the nose guard right there. So potentially your, your top two zero tech nose guards are out. That certainly is a blow, but we still got some really good players up front. We still have Devontae White. We still have Jalen Carter. I like what I've seen from Warren Brinson. Nazir Stackhouse played pretty well in, I think, about 10 snaps on Saturday against Kentucky. And then you also have guys like Malik Herring, Trevon Walker. We've got some guys up front that are still really talented. I, I still think better than what Florida has up front on their offensive line. And guys, Florida can't run the football. They do not run the football with any sort of success. What they're trying to do right now, what they've had to resort to, is kind of what they had to resort to last year. They're trying to actually incorporate more quarterback run game, even Kyle Trask. They pulled out some quarterback power stuff on Saturday night against Missouri, which I had not seen from them with Kyle Trask to this point. But they ran a couple of quarterback power plays, a quarterback counter thrown in there as well, power counter. So they're trying to manufacture some things. We'll get Kadarius Tony involved in the in the jet sweep game. They realize they don't run the ball well in the traditional sense. Their offensive line just isn't there. Their running backs are fine. They're just not elite. They're not particularly great. And they understand that they're going to be some of the better teams in their schedule. Like, oh, I don't know, Georgia and our defense, they're going to have to find a way to be more multidimensional. They cannot be one-dimensional with their passing game, which is a very dangerous passing game. They realize they've got to add more dimensions to that offense, especially with the run game. So you can see them trying to manufacture some ways to run the football a little bit against Missouri. But the fact still remains, they do not run the ball well at all. And what does our defense do better than anything? Oh yeah, we stopped the run. Even without Jordan Davis, we still stopped the run really, really well. He's certainly a key component to that, but we still got a lot of really good players. So that's number one there. And then if you flip to the other side of their of their line of scrimmage, their defensive front guys, they don't stop the run particularly well either. They're not quite as bad defensively against the run as they are running the football on offense. But Texas A&M a couple of weeks back now, if you guys watched that game, which I know a lot of you did, AM won that game because Jimbo Fisher realized in the second half, oh, all I have to do is run the football right at them and they cannot stop us. And that's exactly how AM won that football game. Kellamon did just enough in the second half with his arm to keep him honest, but they just ran the football right at him. In fact, it got to the point in the second half where anytime the AM dropped back to pass and they didn't run the football on offense, I was losing my mind going, what are you doing? All you have to do is run the football and they cannot stop you. Now, Florida in that game certainly. They were down a couple of their defensive linemen, but they're not particularly deep there on the defensive front anyway. Some of those guys are back. Daryl Slayton's back, but they're still not elite up front, even with some of those guys back, and they don't have a ton of depth up front. 
And our offensive line is playing a lot better. I thought this might be one of the weaknesses of the team after that Arkansas game, but they have really started to gel. I'm still not 100% sold, but the way they're playing right now, I really like that matchup against that Florida defensive front. I mean, Kentucky's defensive front, even without Quentin Bohanna, I think is a good bit better than the Florida defensive front. And we were able to run the ball, not at will, but run the ball with a lot of success against what I think is a good Kentucky defensive front. And if we could do that last week, I know that transit property of equality does not always apply in college football, but you have to like our chances to run the football against this Florida front as well. So line of scrimmage play, I think we have the advantage on both lines of scrimmage. In the SEC, I still believe that is a big deal. In Florida, I know that we have not been great throwing the football. Heck, we threw the ball 14 times through two interceptions. But really outside of those two interceptions, which I know that's easy to say, well, outside of the two interceptions, we were fine. I mean, you can't really just say that. But we, the fact is we didn't throw the ball well against Kentucky at all. We didn't really throw the ball much at all because we, we only had eight possessions in that game. And one of those was right before the half. We had, what, about 28-second possession, something like that. Actually, it might have been like 18 seconds when it was all said and done. Not much time on the clock at all. And then we had a possession at the end of the game where we were just kind of run the, running the clock out. We weren't even really trying to score. So really like six possessions where we were like really actually trying to score and really had a, a legitimate chance to try to score in that game. So we shouldn't throw the ball that much. You know, like We threw the ball fairly successfully against Alabama. Sure, Stetson had some throws that that he shouldn't have made and had a couple balls batted down. And there were some throws that he should have made that he just didn't didn't make the right decision on the play. So we've got to continue to improve there. But we've, we've thrown the ball decently well throughout the season, not an elite level, certainly. But the Florida secondary is, is having some issues. I do think that Kair Elam is a borderline elite corner. He's getting there. I don't know if I would call him elite yet, but he has that potential. He will be elite sooner rather than later. He's certainly the best player back there in the back end. But Wilson, the other corner, doesn't do much for me. Trading doesn't really hardly play if there's, if there's not COVID issues. He's just out of the picture for them. Their safeties are issues in coverage. Brad Stewart is, is a guy that's really good in, in run support. But I don't want to say he's lost in coverage, but he's just not a guy that's going to go out there and, and match up in man coverage against some of your better receivers. I think that's a guy that, that we can potentially pick on in this game. So even though we haven't thrown the ball well, I do maybe like some of those matchups if we can get George Pickens back in the game. And look, as good as they do throw the football, Florida's offense is good. It's a pretty dynamic offense. They're throwing the ball really well. Kyle Trask having a really good year. But if you really watch them play, they scheme guys open. It's not like Alabama, outside of Kyle Pitts, it's not like Alabama's receiving core where they just are so physically gifted and just so talented that they just beat you one-on-one when you get man coverage. I mean, their receivers are fine. Trevon Grimes is, is a good, solid player. Jacob Copeland, good player. I mean, those guys are good. I'm not saying they're trash. They're good players, but they are not Devontae Smith. They are not Jalen Waddell. They don't throw the ball downfield especially well. When they get big plays in the passing game, it's either in the middle of the field or some of these short passes that Bama will throw sometimes too. And they have some really dynamic players like Kadarius Tony in the slot that can just, you know, take a 5-10 yard throw and turn that into, into 50 for a touchdown. You know, they have they have those kind of guys. I mean, if you look at some of the numbers of Kyle Trask, again, I'll detail this more in the preview show. He's only completed three out of eight passes outside the hashes 20 or more yards down the field. In the 10 to 20 yard range, he's only completed eight of 20 passes outside the hashes. I mean, guys, he's really only attempted eight passes outside the hash marks 20 or more yards down the field. They just don't throw the ball down the field that much. And the reason I bring that up is maybe a reason to have a little bit of hope in this game. Think about what Bama did to us in the passing game. 
yeah, they beat us pretty much all around in their passing game, but they really burned us out wide outside the hashes quite a few times. They had the ability to do that with the receivers, with Mac Jones. Kyle Trask is a good cerebral quarterback. He makes good decisions. He's got a little bit more athletic. actually dropped a little bit of weight. He's got his body in a little bit better shape. He's smart. He knows where to go with the football. All the same things that we said about Jake Fromm. He's a little bigger than Jake Fromm, certainly but he doesn't have a, a great arm. He really does not. I don't want to call it a noodle arm, but it's not a great arm. He does not throw outside the hashes that often at all. And that's kind of where Alabama really, really hurt us in man coverage with their receivers. And I don't think they have those kind of receivers. And Kyle Trask isn't the kind of quarterback that's going to push the ball vertically down the field outside the hashes as consistently as Alabama was able to do against us. So not all people want to say, well, 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 Alabama's got a great offense. Look what they did to Georgia. And Ford's got a great offense, so they're going to do something similar to Georgia. I, I don't know if you can say that because like, I just don't think they have... Yeah, Kyle Pitts is really good. He's awesome. Kadarius Tony's a dangerous guy in the slot, but they don't have those outside threats that Bama had. I mean, Grimes is good. Copeland is good. They're just, again, just not Waddle, not Smith. They're not those kind of guys. So I don't know if it's apple, apples to apples. I mean, Bama schemes their guys really well. They put them in good positions to make plays, but really they just beat you because they're just better than you. Like they're just really, really good out wide. And I think Florida, I mean, I, I know we're dogging on Dan Mullen, but like, he's a good offensive mind. I don't think he's a, he's an offensive genius that some people want to make him out to be, but he's a good offensive mind. And he does a good job scheming those guys open. I think that's more what they rely on than just kind of pushing the ball vertically down the field. And if that's the case, I think that I, I like what we do schematically on defense too. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And give you one more sense of hope here. I know a lot of people are down on Kirby Smart right now, but I would still maintain that we have the better coaches, a better head coach, better overall coaching staff. I really like that advantage going into this game. So look, I, again, I'm not going to guarantee that we're going to win this football game, but there are some matchups that I do like. The injuries concern me, but I like some matchups. I like the coaching staff that we have going into this game. And I think there's certainly a chance that we can still win this football game. I don't, again, I don't feel as good as I did right before kickoff on Saturday against Kentucky, but I, I think it's a little strong to say that it would be a miracle for us to find a way to beat Florida. I don't think I'm ready to say that yet. It might be a mild upset at this point with some of the injuries that we've had and some of the issues that we have offensively at the quarterback position especially, but not a miracle. I don't know if I would go that far. There's, there is some reason for hope. There's some reason for hope. All right. The next question is from Georgia CFB. He asks, where's D-Rob? He feels like we've barely seen the guy, and this was supposed to be his money year. And he's simply been surpassed in the rotation by younger guys. Do you agree with that? Yeah, it's pretty clear right now that D-Rob has just been surpassed in the rotation. Really, it's Kiaris Jackson. When we play D-Rob, we can still play him outside. So when he comes in the game, he's most of the time playing in the slot. And Kiaris has just raised his game. He's raised his level of play. And he is the guy at slot right now. And D-Rob will come in and spell him at times. But Kiaris is getting the vast majority of those snaps. And I think understandably so. I mean, think about what we've seen from Kiaris this year and what we've seen from D-Rob for like, what, two plus years now, three years now. It hasn't been all that much. It's it's baffling to me because this is a guy who's a true freshman out at, in Cal. Like, I, I know the Pac-12, different game. I get it. But he was making plays for them at Cal, different offense. I understand that. Now, his he hasn't physically developed. He's still not the biggest guy. He doesn't block particularly well because he just doesn't have a big frame. He's got really good straight line speed, but I don't think he's particularly agile. I don't think he has, I'm not saying he doesn't know agility, but he doesn't have as good of lateral agility as some of the other receivers out there. But it's still hard to understand why he just hasn't been able to really get in any sort of rhythm here in Athens and why things have never really clicked for him. I think part of it, again, has to do with just the size that he's just not the biggest guy and the SEC is a physical league and our offense also, you got to be able to block. And I just don't know if our offense also really fits his skill set. 
And then you have Kyrus Jackson, again, who's just coming in, and he's raised his game, and he's taken his game to another level. And I think he's just the better option right now. I think it's as simple as that. I think that Kyrus Jackson gives us a better chance to make plays, as we've seen throughout the year to this point, from that slot position, and that's why he's getting the majority of the reps. D-Rob gets in at times, but certainly nowhere to the level that we thought he would be when we first... I remember when we, when we landed him as a transfer, I was so pumped up. In fact, I think we did an emergency podcast on landing D-Rob as a, as a transfer from Cal, and it just has not worked out like I thought it would, like a lot of fans... And the Bulldog Nation thought it would, and it's uh, I, I I hate it for D Rob because everything I've ever heard about this guy is that he's just he's a really great dude. He works hard, humble kid, and uh, just it just hasn't worked out for him. I hate it for him, but I, I just think the reality is there are players ahead of him that have just raised their game, and he hasn't quite raised his game to that point. Well, it wouldn't be a Glory UGA mailbag episode without at least a couple of questions about the quarterback position because this is all we talk about these days. Trenton wants you to talk about the quarterback situation with Stetson and JT Daniels. He says that if JT isn't healthy and if Stetson and Dewan can't cut it, why is the coaching staff sleeping on Carson Beck? Is it something we don't know about or is he just lost in all this chaos? Mike also has a quarterback question and he says that there was only one mention of Carson Beck on the quarterback show that you did the other day. Any news on his progression in the UGA system? Uh, Mike is surprised at the lack of news and discussion on Carson Beck. Yeah, I'm glad that you guys are bringing up Carson Beck because I was actually told earlier this week, I wasn't sure whether or not to believe. That's why I kind of kept it to myself and didn't mention it on the show. But when I saw that he actually made the trip to Lexington, it kind of all clicked for me. I was like, oh, wow, it looks like I was actually given pretty good information here. But what I was told was that Carson Beck had a really good week in practice last week and actually made a little bit of a move. Now, when I say a little bit of a move, don't get your hopes up, guys, and thinking that this guy is going to be like coming out against Florida and he's going to start that game. No, I'm not talking about that kind of move. But made a move up into like starting to get some reps with the number two offense, which he hadn't really been getting all season long. Kind of just been like getting just garbage reps here and there when, when he got a chance. But he had a really good week of practice, from my understanding, during that bye week when he got some more opportunities and continue that into last week. And hence, he got an opportunity to make the travel roster and make that trip to Lexington, which I think was his first road trip that he actually made the travel roster for this season. Somebody can correct me if I'm wrong there. Feel free to hit me up on, on social media. But I feel like that was his first game that he made the travel roster. He definitely didn't make it for Arkansas. I don't think he made it for Bama. I didn't see him out there. I saw JT. I saw Dwan. I didn't see Beck. So I think this was the first one he made. So he's making progress. Now, the question obviously becomes, is he going to progress enough to really be able to help us this season? And I don't I don't really know if the answer is yes there. In fact, I would say if I had to pick an answer, I would, I would lean towards no. I, I like the fact that he's making progress. And this is a guy that, I mean, I told you guys when, when he committed to us, I'm really high on him. I know that he did not have the senior year that a lot of people wanted him to have. And there, and there were some doubts about him after that senior year. Guys, he lost, you have to put that in context. He lost a ton of his receiving options, his, his top skill players after that junior year where they made a run to the state title. And he, but he, and as, as a junior, he was lights out. He took a program that was basically a nothing program that had not really done much historically, comes in as a junior and takes him to the state title. That just doesn't really happen all that often. He played really well as a junior. As a senior, his numbers were down, especially early in the season, but that team went on a little bit of a run late in the season. And run might be a little bit of a strong word to use there, but they they certainly improved, and his numbers improved late in the season. And you also have to remember that this guy 
really only started to play football full-time and dedicate himself full-time as a quarterback really within the past year and a half, two years. He was a big-time baseball player, decided that football was going to be his future, and he's still, I don't want to say raw, but he was not as developed and polished coming out of high school as maybe some other guys would have been. As a guy like, I don't know, Jake Fromm a couple years back because he just didn't dedicate as much time to football. But that's changed the past couple years. And so I think his best football is still very much ahead of him. I'm still high on this guy. I'm also really high on Brock Vandergriff coming in a couple years or coming in next year, actually. But I know that people just kind of write Carson Beck off as a guy who's going to transfer. And maybe that will be his fate. And maybe that's what will happen. But I'm not going to completely dismiss him in this battle moving forward. He's a guy that I know works really hard. He wants to be good. And I, and I think he has the skill set to be a good player. I just, again, this year, I just don't know if he's going to progress rapidly enough to be able to help us out this year. It'd be awesome if that was the case. I just don't know if it's going to happen. But great question. You're right. We definitely haven't talked enough about Carson Beck. And uh, I'm glad to be able to Bring him up a little bit here today on the Mailbag Show. And Charlie, I know we have a lot more questions to get to, but real quickly, I just want to remind all of our listeners out there about our friends at MyBookie. College football is, as of this weekend, it will be back in complete full swing. We have the max starting this week. During the week, I think Wednesday, maybe? Normally it's Tuesday, but I think it might be Wednesday this week. I think I saw that somewhere. The Pac-12 will be back playing 9 a.m. local kickoffs. I mean, they'll be playing 12 Eastern, so have fun back 12, but they'll be back. So you got all the college football back. You got the NFL. There is no shortage of games to watch, which means there is no shortage of lines available on all of your favorite sports and events. And with my bookie, you can turn your game day into payday. And in my bookie, you can bet on the favorites, you can bet on the underdogs, you can bet your basic game spreads, championship futures, player prop bets, even presidential prop bets right now, at least for the next day or so, I guess. And it's never too late to get in on the action and start turning all the sports knowledge that you guys have into actual cash in your wallet. All you have to do is sign up at MyBookie, and when you do, use our promo code OVERTIME to claim a deposit match dollar for dollar all the way up to a 1000 bucks, guys. It's an awesome deal. It's a bonus designed to give you a little bit of a head start on your winning season. Again, that's promo code OVERTIME for you to claim your bonus when you make your first deposit, stacked UFC cards, presidential prop bets, all the major sports, and so much more. Sign up today to begin your winning season exclusively at MyBookie. Continuing with the quarterback question theme, Patrick asks, is the quarterback's ability to make adjustments at the line of scrimmage a major factor in Kirby's decision about who plays? He says, based on JT Daniels' USC film, do you think that's what's keeping him off the field? He continues and says that Kirby has praised Stetson and Fromm in the past for getting us into the right protections and the run call. What are your thoughts? Yeah, thanks for the question. That's a great question. There's absolutely no doubt. I totally agree. There's no doubt that the quarterback's ability to make adjustments at the line of scrimmage and to just make good decisions in general and be a guy that coaches can trust. Not only do I think that is a major factor in Kirby's decision about who plays and who starts at the quarterback spot, I think that is the primary factor in his decision-making process. Now, I do also want to say here, I kind of alluded to this a little bit and talked about it a little bit on the on the recap show after the Kentucky game. I don't know how much to put on Kirby Smart right now when it comes to the quarterback decision on who starts. I think Todd Munkin has a lot of autonomy in making choices from a personal standpoint on offense. 
Kirby certainly it discusses those things with him. I just don't know what the dynamic is right now internally with who is making the final call on who the quarterback is going to be. Did Kirby reserve the right to make that call when he hired Munkin, or did he just really hand over the reins to Munkin and say, hey, man, this is your baby. You do what you got to do from a schematic standpoint, from a personnel standpoint. So I don't really know what to believe there. So I don't know how much we should put on Kirby here. I think it's fair to put at least some of this on Kirby at the very, very least, if not all of it. If not all of it, it's certainly possible. I just don't know. It's, it's just tough to know what the internal dynamic is there. But whether it's Munkin, whether it's Kirby, and especially with Kirby, if you look back at his history here in Athens with the quarterback position, I think that's the primary factor. And I think that's what's keeping Dewan Mathis off the field right now. Although, I, as I said on the recap show, like, yeah, I know Mathis wasn't perfect against Arkansas. And his, oh, by the way, his first ever collegiate snaps. I know he wasn't perfect. I know he made some, some poor decisions there. And he, he, got, he got shook a little bit when he got that big hit on the sideline from bumper pool. All that is true. But if you go back and rewatch that, that first half again, guys, yeah, he wasn't perfect. But there were some plays that could have been made there that he wasn't able to make because the offensive line couldn't hold protection, particularly Owen Condon at right tackle. And uh, I just don't know if all that was on him, that interception. I know it looked really bad in, in real time. And I thought it was really bad in real time. But going back and watching, I think that was on Jermaine Burton more than anything. Now, I do think Dwan Mathis had some culpability in seeing that Burton was not where he needed to be. And when you when you see the defender kind of just sitting there, don't hey, here's an idea, like don't throw it to him. Sure. But Stetson is making a lot of this, I don't want to say the exact same mistakes that Mathis is making, but Stetson is making some similar mistakes. He's missing reads. He's not taking checkdowns consistently when they're there. Like that interception down the sideline against Kentucky, I know he said he was trying to throw the ball away and Kirby says he was trying to throw the ball away. Maybe. That's not what it looked like to me in real time. When I go back to watch and watch it again, I'm, I'm not convinced he was trying to throw the ball away. I'm just not convinced. I guess we'd have to give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm just not convinced he was. But even if he was trying to throw the ball away, why are you doing that? You had a check down right there in front of you for probably potentially a first down there. Uh, at least set you up like second and three. And I, I just those kind of things he's got to do a better job of. He did that against Alabama as well. He did not consistently take checkdowns that were there. He's forcing some balls into tight windows. And I'm starting to question, like, is he seeing those checkdowns? I mean, when the offensive line, you got guys that are 6'4", 6'5", standing up in front of you, and you're 5'10", 5'11", are you seeing those checkdowns? Maybe. I I don't know. I mean, he should at least know where they're going to be schematically. But I'm starting to wonder if, like, his vision is being impeded by the guys just standing up in front of him, not just the hands being thrown up, but his own linemen. So he's certainly making his fair share of mistakes too. And like I know like he was brought in to be stable. I've said this for weeks now, to be consistent, to make good decisions, to be a guy that coaches can trust. Not a dynamic quarterback because that's not what he is, but to be a guy that coaches can trust as Kirby has shown is so important to him throughout his time here in Athens. That's why Justin Fields did not win that job right away, even though he was the clearly the more talented option, physically gifted option, Kirby were the guy that he could trust, that he felt could put us in good plays, that would make good decisions with the football, could run the offense fully with no limitations, at least no limitations on the kind of packages we could throw out there from like a, a knowledge standpoint. There certainly were some physical limitations, there's no doubt there. But I think Kirby kind of reverted back to that in that Arkansas game. I think he wanted to try to evolve offensively in that game. That's why he started Dewan Mathis to see what we had in him. He knew what we had in Stetson. But hey, you start Mathis, see what we've got, see if you know, you've know you seen him make some plays in practice. Maybe he's not consistent in practice. Maybe he makes some bad decisions there, but you want to see what he can do in a game setting and see if he can can spark this offense. And it didn't really happen. So then he kind of reverted back to his old comfortable ways. 
And I do think that's a really, really important factor for Kirby. And in fact, I think it's the the prominent factor in his decision making when it comes to the quarterback spot. Now with JT Daniels, I like this guy. I, this is a guy that understands how to play college football. This guy understands coverages. He's, he started as a true freshman at USC, graduated early, all the whole nine yards, all that. This guy understands football. I don't think that's the case for him. I don't think that's what's keeping him off the field. In fact, I I wonder if it's still the mobility. Like, even though, yes, he's cleared, but maybe he's his mobility's not 100% back, and maybe Munkin is preferring Stetson because at least he has some mobility that can turn bad plays into not terrible plays, potentially. I don't know the answer there. I really don't know, but I do know, you know getting us the right protections, the right run calls, all those things are important to Kirby Smart, and I think those are preeminent in his mind when looking at that quarterback spot. And I, I mentioned this on the, the show I did about the quarterback position or Kirby Smart, the past, the present, the future of the quarterback position under Kirby Smart. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, I encourage you to go back and, and just take a quick listen. And I, I tried my best to kind of lay out my thoughts on where we are right now at the quarterback spot, how we got there, and what we can expect moving forward. And one of the things I said on that show, kind of just going back and looking at how Kirby Smart has handled the quarterback position since he's been here, or at least prior to this season, you have to understand, guys, that Kirby Smart is, number one, he's an old-school Southern football coach, okay? His dad was an old-school Southern football coach. He's an old-school Southern football coach. And if you guys grew up in the South playing football anywhere here in the South, in the state of Georgia, wherever you are, you know for a long time there was a certain way football was played in the South. There, there was a, a football culture here. And it was based around strong lines of scrimmage and just really defensive play, run the football, don't make mistakes on offense, and just win with your defense. The old cliche that defense wins championships. Kirby grew up on that. And then when he got to Alabama in the early years of the Saban era Alabama, that's how they were winning national titles. And of course, that changed over time, but it was ingrained in Kirby Smart. And he's also a defensive guy, so he always looks at things through that prism, the prism of, of a defensive coach, an old-school Southern football coach, and the coach who won multiple national titles at Alabama following that same formula. So I think that was so deeply ingrained in his DNA that it was really difficult for him to remove himself from that mindset. I, I think he has shown signs of moving away from that, especially coming into this season bringing in Todd Muggan, going out, getting Jamie Newman, starting Dwan Mathis to open this season. But like I said on the recap show, when things went awry in the first half against Arkansas with Dwan Mathis, a quarterback, I think he reverted back to his old comfortable ways. And that's kind of where we are right now. Now, can he pull himself out of that again? I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully for our sake, if we want to win a national title, because we're not going to win a national title, guys. I don't care how talented our roster is. No matter how many number one classes we put together in recruiting, we're not going to win a national title until we become specifically more dynamic at the quarterback position and really just generally speaking more dynamic on offense. But yeah, going back to your original question, I know it's kind of a long answer, but I just have a lot to say about it. Yeah, I do think that is a, a major factor in how Kirby Smart approaches the quarterback position. Kevin wants to know, how much responsibility does Kirby bear for our current quarterback situation? 
Well, obviously he does bear some responsibility, at least some responsibility. I know to a lot of people out there, he bears all the responsibility for Justin Fields not being the quarterback at the University of Georgia right now. Absolutely. I know I have a little bit of a different take on how that went down than most people, and most people disagree with me on that, and that's totally cool. I do respect where everyone else is coming from that. I get it. I just have a little bit of a different take on that specific decision in that specific season in 2018. But the fact remains, if he goes with Justin Fields in 2018, then he's still our quarterback today. So yeah, he bears a lot of responsibility for that for sure. But outside of the Justin Field saga and that whole entire situation, if you look at it like this year in isolation and the fact that Stetson Bennett is our starting quarterback right now, a guy who a couple months ago was arguably fifth string. I mean, I think you can certainly make that argument. I really don't put all that much responsibility on Kirby for the current situation at quarterback. I really don't, again, outside of the Justin Fields entire situation. But if you look at this year in isolation, I think Kirby really did try to go out and rectify the offense and the quarterback position. He goes out and he gets Jamie Newman, the top quarterback transfer on the market, in my opinion. He goes out and he gets JT Daniels as a backup option. He brings in Todd Munkin, right? He has all these options trying to change the offense. I honestly don't know how anyone can put the Jamie Newman opting out situation on Kirby Smart. I don't know how that is on Kirby Smart. I really do not. You, he could not have predicted the pandemic. He could not have predicted that. That's that's just tough luck. That's just really tough luck. And then your backup plan, JT Daniels, you were able to convince him to come to Athens. Well, you had no way to understand how many complications this guy was going to have with his knee injury that would set him back. And then he tries to start Dewan Mathis. He gives him a shot there, and it didn't really work out, at least in the first quarter and a half or so against Arkansas. And so what option are you left with? Well, Stetson Bennett. Stetson Bennett. I, I know it's it still sounds crazy to say that he was our best option at that time. Is he still our best option now? I don't know. I don't know. Our coaches have a lot more inf- information to operate off of. They see these guys at practice. They, they're with them in the meeting rooms. I, I typically defer to them when it comes to these kind of decisions because they just know a lot more and see a lot more than we do. They just have a lot more information to operate off of when making these decisions. We think we know, but oftentimes we don't really have that much of an idea, and, and I can admit that. But I just don't think this year, if you look at the circumstances that have befallen this program at the quarterback position in this season, I don't think really any of that is Kirby Smart's fault. Now, you could certainly start to put some blame on him in terms of sticking with Stetson Bennett if he continues to do that and the season starts to spiral out of control. If he decides to just not give anyone else another opportunity, to not give Dewan another opportunity, to not give Carson Beck a chance, to not just go with JT if he's at some point even healthy enough to play. Again, I just I still don't quite know what to make of the JT Daniels situation. Kirby doubled down again on his Monday press conference saying, oh yeah, no, JT's healthy. You go out there and play. He's just, you know, he's working with the scout team. And it's like, oh my God, if that's the case, do we really, really, really think that Stetson Bennett is a better option at quarterback than JT Daniels? It's just, that's hard for me to fathom. It really is. But again, I I typically defer to the coaches in, in those kind of situations, but man, it's it is becoming tougher and tougher to give them the benefit of the doubt when it comes to the quarterback spot right now because we just that's the missing piece, guys. That's the missing piece. If we get that figured out, we're going to win a national title. And, but until we do, it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. I hate to say it, but it is not going to happen. Our next question is from Can Quinn. Why should we care about quarterback efficiency? He says that it's nice that Fromm was up there with Tua and Kyler in 2017, and it's nice that Stetson was efficient before. But this isn't a stat that seems to give us anything because we're still not scoring points. 
says we want yards and touchdowns over efficiency. What are your thoughts? Well, I appreciate the question, but we should worry about quarterback efficiency because that's the number one indicator of success for a quarterback. That's how. That's the best way to measure how productive a quarterback is. And I, I get where you're coming from because when you hear the word efficiency, I think people relate that to the idea of a game manager, a guy that just completes a high percentage of his passes, but he's not really pushing the ball down the field. He's taking the the, the check downs. He's sitting the swing passes, the screen game, all that kind of stuff. I, I think when you hear efficiency, you think those things, but that's not all that goes into the efficiency measure for a quarterback. Like when you look at total QBR, which essentially measures the productivity and efficiency of a quarterback. And this is like, I think this question is in reference to when I reference Jake Fromm's numbers in 2018 and say, you know, okay, like when people were, were clamoring for Justin Fields and then you're looking at Jake Fromm's numbers, it's like, man, Jake Fromm has played at an extraordinarily high level in 2018. Yeah, the LSU game was a disaster for him. But outside of that game, Jake Fromm was lights out, especially following the LSU game, going into the Florida game and the rest of the way. Jake Fromm performed at an elite level statistically. Now, is Jake Fromm really an elite level quarterback? No, I don't think that he is. But that season statistically from an efficiency standpoint, yeah, he was, guys. And when I say efficiency, what I'm talking about with total QBR, it takes into account completion percentage. But efficiency is not just completion percentage. That's a part of it. That's a component. But it also takes into account things like yards per attempt. It takes into account touchdowns, interceptions, all those things. Like with, with total QBR and the efficiency ratings there, yeah, you can have a really high completion percentage number, but if you're only averaging six yards an attempt, well, it's like, well, okay, yeah, you're completing a lot of passes, but that's because you're taking really, really high percentage throws underneath and not even trying to challenge a defense down the field. And QBR adjusts for that. And in 2018, Jake Fromm was top 10 in completion percentage and top 10 in yards per attempt. That's why he was number three nationally in total QBR behind Kyler Murray and Tua Tungavailoa, and actually ahead of guys like De'Eric King, Dwayne Haskins, KJ Costello, Trevor Lawrence, all those guys. He was ahead of those guys in 2018 because he was completing a high percentage of his passes, but also threw for over nine yards in attempt. He wasn't making a living on underneath routes, really racking up high completion percentage numbers. He was racking up high completion percentage numbers, but actually pushing the ball vertically down the field. And a total QBR and efficiency numbers weren't a leading indicator of how good a quarterback really is, then how do the top quarterbacks in the country year in and year out finish at the top of the total QBR rankings? You go back to 2017, who was number one? Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson, number four, McKenzie Milton, number five, Jake Fromm again, number six, Jalen Hurts, number seven. You go to 2018, you had Tua Tungavailoa, Kyler Murray at one and two, actually Murray, number one, Tungavailoa, number two, Jake Fromm, number three, Derek King again, number four. And then go to 2019, Joe Burrow, number one, Tua Tagovailoa, number two, Justin Fields, number three, Jalen Hurts, four, Trevor Lawrence, five. So to me, if total QBR and efficiency measures for quarterbacks, those metrics did not matter when evaluating quarterback play, then how in the world are the top guys every single year, the guys who are mentioned at the top of NFL draft boards, how are those guys so consistently finishing at the top of those metrics? Our next question is from loyal listener Alexander. He says that he's boiled our quarterback situation down to four main issues, and he'd like to get your opinion on which you think is the primary culprit. Number one, quarterback evaluation. Number two, quarterback development. Number three, managing the quarterback room. And number four, just plain bad luck. Well, this is a great question, Alexander, man. Bringing the heat today. I really love this question. 
I know if I go with your fourth option, just plain bad luck, I'm going to get a lot of pushback from all my listeners, all you wonderful listeners out there. But of the four that you laid out, I think just plain bad luck is the primary culprit. I know I'm going to get some pushback on that. But if you go back to 2018, you guys know, I'm not going to rehash this over and over again, but I made it clear. I think that Jay Fromm was the right choice for that season. I think Fields would have beaten him out in 2019 and would be our quarterback then and also this year, which would be pretty awesome. But that wasn't the case. And it, it just now you can say maybe Kirby mismanaged the quarterback room there and didn't handle things right behind the scenes. That's certainly a fair argument to the point that Justin Fields felt like he needed to leave. But you also have, of course, you know, how much this played into Justin Fields' decision to actually leave. You have the Adam Sasser racist comment, which again, I don't know how much of a factor that really was, but it certainly was involved in there in some way, whether he used it as an excuse to get his immediate eligibility waiver. I don't know, but that, that there was something there. Now, his sister did continue to play softball at the University of Georgia, so the family wasn't too concerned about the environment overall in Athens, you would have to imagine. But you can point to that situation and say, okay, maybe he just didn't manage the quarterback room particularly well in 2018. I do think that's a fair argument to make. Now, this year, I don't think that's the case. I think this year, as I laid out a few minutes ago, it's just bad luck. I mean, how was Kirby Smart supposed to predict that we were going to have our presumptive number one quarterback, our starter, opt out a couple weeks before the season started. How is he going to predict that we had all these complications with JT Daniels' knee injury, right? How is he going to know that? How is he supposed to predict that Dwan Mathis was going to have a brain injury last year before the season and really miss an entire year development there? That's not on Kirby. That's bad luck. And I think a part of, even go back to Justin Fields, some of that is bad luck that, that he decided that, that Fields decided that he wasn't going to wait around. He wasn't going to wait a year and continue to try to compete in 2019, that he just wanted to go and, and maybe have a clearer path to playing time. I get why he did that. I don't wish a guy ill will. I wish him the best. But some of that, I mean, you can you can argue that, yeah, he mismanaged the quarterback room a little bit, but some of it's also bad luck that, that the guy just didn't want to sit around and wait to compete one more year. But what I would maybe add to your list, Alexander, is risk tolerance. If you had included that in there, that's where I would have gone. I think that's the primary culprit. I just don't think Kirby has a very high risk tolerance at the quarterback spot. I think he puts a premium, as I said, on the quarterback protecting the football, getting us in the right place function of the offense, making good decisions, all those kind of things because he's a defensive guy. He still at some level thinks that you can win with extraordinarily good defense. I think the last two years, last year and this year, should hopefully cause him to take a very deep look at those philosophies and those beliefs because we had an elite defense last year, but it wasn't good enough because our offense just couldn't get it done. This year, we have an elite defense, but I'm not sure it's going to be good enough. I don't think it's going to be good enough to win a title because our offense is just not there. So with Justin Fields back in 2018, you know, I don't think Fields was ready to operate the entire offense like we needed him to in that year. If we were going to run with that offense, you can argue that we should completely change the offense for him. But I, I would maintain it's still really tough to go ahead like in the preseason and, and just revamp your entire offense to fit Justin Fields if you don't know if he's going to be your best option. I think you only do that when you make the decision, okay, we've seen enough from him. This guy is our best quarterback. Now let's change the offense. And that's kind of hard to do when the quarterback battle goes into the actual season. It's tough. That offense just fit Jake Fromm better in that one given season. But at some point, Kirby's going to have to say, you know what? 
it might be a riskier choice to play a guy like Dwan Mathis or a guy like Justin Fields because maybe they aren't ready to make the kind of decisions that I want them to make consistently where they're going to protect the football. They're going to take some risk. You know what? It might hurt us from time to time when they take some of those risks, but you know what else is going to happen? They're going to make some plays when they take those risks too because those guys are obscenely gifted from a physical standpoint. They're extraordinarily talented. And while, yeah, those risks might come back to bite you every now and then, you're going to ultimately end up making more plays by taking those risks than having things come back to hurt you. So I think risk tolerance is the issue for Kirby Smart. He's got to just at some point let it go. And I'm not really advocating being reckless. I think there's a difference between calculated risk and recklessness. You don't want to put a quarterback out there that's just flat out reckless with the football is going to turn the ball over six times in a game. Like that is obviously one far end of the spectrum. What I would argue for is put a guy out there that's going to take some calculated risk that sometimes will work against you. You have to understand that. You have to accept that going in, but you also understand that by putting that guy out there who's really talented and will take some calculated risk, you're going to also make a lot of plays and your offense is going to ultimately end up being a lot more dynamic. So I think that's the biggest issue, honestly, is just he has an extraordinarily low tolerance for risk at the quarterback position. Well, we've been decimated with injuries the past few weeks. And Wesley asks, how concerned are you for the defense after all the injuries in the Kentucky game and with what happened to Richie? Well, I'm deeply, extraordinarily, overwhelmingly concerned about the defense going into this matchup of Florida based on the injuries. I mean, I felt all year going back to the preseason that our defense really matched up well with this Florida offense, as good as the Florida offense has been. I think our defense is just better. But now with all the injuries, it's it's tough to say. Richard LeCount being out, I mean, guys, Richard LeCount is a, at the very least an all-SEC caliber player, potentially an all-American. In my opinion, Jordan Davis is the best interior defensive lineman in all of America. I think you can make a really strong argument that Jordan Davis is the best player on our entire team. I know some people will point to, point to George Pickens, but I, I would argue right now, it's Jordan Davis. And when he's not in the game, I think that is an issue for us against anybody. I know Florida doesn't run the ball particularly well or well at all, but with Jordan Davis in the game, like that matchup was going to be an overwhelming advantage for us. Like our front six versus the Florida running game was going to be an overwhelming advantage for us. I still think that that's a matchup that favors us, but not near as much with Jordan Davis. With Jordan Davis, I think we were going to be able to make Florida completely one-dimensional and one-dimensional offenses really typically don't fare very well against Kirby Smart defenses. So that is a huge loss. Obviously, Richard being out, I mean, that's a problem. Lewis Cena, like, from my understanding, is that he did practice today and looked pretty well doing it on Monday. So that is incredible. If we have Lewis Cena out there and Chris Smith, I think Chris Smith has played really well. You know, if you go back to the Auburn game when Richard LeCount gets knocked out in that game with a targeting call, Smith came in and played pretty much the entire second half. I thought he played really well. He played well in relief of scene on Saturday against Kentucky. I think this guy is a good player. Now, is he Richard LeCount? No, he's not, but he's still a good player. His speed has been impressive to me. His understanding of the defense when he hasn't played all that much, being in the right spot, those kind of things, that has been impressive to me. So I feel pretty good if it's Chris Smith and Lewis Scene. Now, if Scene is not able to go, then we have all sorts of issues. Just what do you do? You put Tyreek Stevenson back there, Mark Webb. I know those guys were cross-training during fall camp. Do you try to do that? But if you do that, then who plays the money position when we go to our dime package? And guys, we're going to be in our dime package quite a bit against Florida with how they like to throw the football, especially if we can keep them in third and long situations. So is that William Poole? Do we feel really good about William Poole coming and doing that? Do you slide Tyson Campbell inside and have him play the money position or the star and you have DJ Daniel 
come in if he's healthy. And DJ Daniels been banged up, so is he going to be healthy enough to even make that a possibility? There are a lot of issues there. We have a lot of young guys playing on the defensive front. We're not going to have near as much depth. Quay Walker, I'm not sure he's not going to play. But Quay's been quietly getting better and better as he's played more with Monty's injury. Monty's able to go, but is Monty going to be 100%? I don't know. There's a lot of concerns there. I am deeply concerned about it because this Florida offense is good. Dan Mullen, all the things that we like to say to make fun of him and give him a hard time, which is very easy. He's an easy target. The dude is a flat-out clown, but he's a good offensive coach. He's a good offensive coach. He schemes it up well, and we need to be at full strength, which we're just not going to be. So it remains to be seen as if what we have to put out there, we have a ton of depth. We've recruited really, really well. We have so many guys that we get snaps. That does make me feel a little bit better about the situation. Most teams would just fall apart if they had suffered the injuries that we have defensively over the past couple of weeks. But it remains to be seen as going to be enough against what is a really good Florida offense. We'll follow that up with a question from Justin. He says, if LeCount and Scene can't go on Saturday, what does the secondary look like? Man, I honestly don't even want to think about that. Obviously, Richard's not going to be able to play, but we really need Lewis Seen to play. But if he can't, let's just say if he can't, again, kind of what I just alluded to, obviously you're going to go Chris Smith at safety. I think you're going to see either Tyreek Stevenson or Mark Webb move back to safety. They were cross-training at that spot in preseason camp. So I think one of those guys, probably Tyreek Stevenson, if I had to guess right now, that leaves Mark Webb to play the star position. The money spot, I don't know. I don't think William Poole is going to be an answer. And this guy, he came in for like a snap at the end of the game when Tyreek went out with a, with a little dinger. I don't know exactly what happened to him, but he, he seems to be fine. He was out there practicing today on Monday, which is really good news because we can't afford any more injuries in the secondary. So I don't, I don't know if William Poole is the answer. I don't know how much our coaches really trust him there. I think what you might see, and actually I've been planning to talk about this on the, uh, the, the official game preview later on this week, I actually would strongly consider, even before the injuries, moving Tyson Campbell inside to the star position or the money position in our dime package to match up against Kyle Pitts because Tyson Campbell is our biggest, most physical cornerback right now. And I think he really matches up best with Kyle Pitts compared to any of our other defensive backs. And outside, like I think we can potentially get away with that because while Jacob Copeland and Trevon Grimes are good players on the outside for them at wide receiver, they're not dominant. They're not elite. And if DJ Daniel is healthy enough to get back out there and help us, I would strongly consider going with DJ Daniel and Eric Stokes at cornerback and sliding Campbell inside to get him matched up more on Kyle Pitts. Because I think that's an, like, we don't really have anyone that's going to shut down Kyle Pitts. And, and even Campbell's not going to do that. But I think he has the best chance to defend him from a size standpoint, a physicality standpoint, a ball skill standpoint, an athleticism standpoint. All those things. I think he might match up with Pitts best. And look, they'll move Pitts around them, move him outside. They'll move him in the slot. They'll they'll operate with him from the, from the inline tight end position. They'll do different things to them. So you can't even if you put Campbell at star or at money, he's not always going to be matched up with Kyle Pitts there because Mullen again does a good job of scheming him up. He can move Pitts around and make it tougher for us to get the matchup that we want. But it's something that I would certainly consider there. But man, I honestly, I don't want to even want to consider seeing not being able to play. I think he's going to be able to play. Will it be 100%? I don't know. But if he doesn't play, it's going to be tough. It's going to be a tough against a really good Florida passing attack. There's no doubt about it. Our next question is from Trey. He says, much like many years playing Spurrier-led teams, is Kirby's hate and disdain for Florida enough to secure a victory on Saturday? Okay, so I love this. And I know some people might scoff at this idea that that Kirby's hate and his utter disdain for Florida will be enough to 
help us come out with a victory in this game. But guys, I wouldn't underestimate this. Kirby does truly hate Florida, and he does not care for Dan Mullen. I have that on pretty good authority. He does not care for Dan Mullen at all. And as much as we all want to win this game, guys, I can assure you Kirby wants to win this game more. I, I, I do truly believe that. And he does a really good job of driving home this rivalry to the players. He does a really good job bringing speakers in and helping them really understand the depth of this rivalry and what it means and how important it is. Obviously, we know it's important for our championship hopes, any championship hopes that we might still have lingering around. It's extraordinarily important to win this game. But it goes beyond that. And I think the fact that Kirby is a Georgia guy, he can really deliver that message in a way that Dan Mullen can't really deliver to his Florida guys. I think that is, in some ways, at least a slight advantage. And Kirby's a master motivator, guys. He's much more of a motivator than Dan Mullen. has come out there with his WWE stuff, the, the, the contrived anger and, and passion, just the utter buffoonish behavior. Kirby can actually motivate his guys, and he's done an outstanding job of that each and every time that we've played Florida under Kirby Smart. And I don't think this year will be any different. Now, motivating your guys and getting them to understand the importance of this rivalry and what it means, does that mean that we're going to win the game? No, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to win the game. It matters what they do out there on the field, but it certainly gets our guys in the right mindset. It helps their preparation during the week, and it certainly cannot hurt. And I do think it's helped us in the past. Kirby put an emphasis on this rivalry, and I certainly hope that does have an effect again this season. And to wrap things up, we have a couple of recruiting questions. Brent wants to know, can Tyrion Ingram Dawkins help us fill the Jordan Davis void next year? Yeah, I'm really glad we get to fit in some recruiting talk here at the end of the show because recruiting often gets lost during the actual football season, but it's it's always important. And some of you might have missed this, but we got a big time commitment from Tyrion Ingram Dawkins on Friday night, October 30th, right before the Kentucky game. And this guy is a top 200 prospect overall, according to the 247 Composite. He's a defensive tackle. He's rated 178 overall nationally, 6'5", 298 pounds, out of Gaffney, South Carolina. Uh, pretty much everybody in the Southeast wanted this guy, and we were able to land him. And this guy's going to be a really good player for us. And he's, the thing is, he's still growing into his body. I mean, just two years ago, a little over two years ago, he weighed 239 pounds. Now he's all the way up to essentially 300 pounds. He has really filled out his body in the past couple of years. I think he's going to continue to do so. But right now, he's certainly not the size of Jordan Davis. And I don't know if he projects to play nose tackle right now based on where he is from a size and weight standpoint. Now, if he continues to grow and he gets like the 330 range, then yeah, we can start talking. But he's not the same profile physically as Jordan Davis. I think right now he's more of a three-tech type guy. But I would love to have him on the team right now, especially with, with some of the injuries that we're dealing with up front. But I don't know if he's going to fill the Jordan Davis void. He's going to be a really good player. I just don't know if he's the same type of player, space eater, eating up bodies, that kind of thing that Jordan Davis is. Really good player. I just don't know if he's going to be the guy that we should look to to fill that Jordan Davis void next year. And our last question of the show, Elliot wants to know about Dion Bowie and says he hasn't heard much about him since his commitment this weekend. How big of a get was that for Georgia? Well, that was a huge get. I mean, if you guys don't know about Dion Bowie, now he's not a 2021 guy. He's a 2022 prospect. 
out of Bainbridge, Kirby's hometown. This guy is electric. Now, the question becomes, does he play cornerback or does he play receiver? There's some talk about us recruiting him as a cornerback, and maybe that's where he wants to start out his career. Kind of reminds me of Miko Hardman, where, you know, if you remember back to Miko's freshman year, he spent that entire year, wasted that entire year trying to figure out how to play DB, and that's because that's what he wanted to do. When we all kind of knew, yeah, this guy is a receiver. This guy is a receiver which is what he is still doing in, in the NFL right now, doing it really well. Miko is playing really well right now for the Chiefs. And I kind of see Bowie in the same way. Like He might want to play DB. Our coaches might want to try to give him a shot at DB. He's 5'10", 5'11", about 185 pounds. But guys, I'm telling you, if we try to put this guy on the defensive side of the ball, I am going to lose my mind. We need electric playmakers on offense more than anything right now. we got plenty of guys on defense, right? And I, I know you can always get more guys. I get it. But we need electric, explosive playmakers like nobody's business on the offensive side of the ball. And that is what Dion Bowie brings to the table. As a slot receiver, he gives us something that we don't have on our roster right now. I know Dom Blaylock will be back next year, hopefully come back from the injury. But different kind of receiver. Kyrus Jackson, love him. Really good player. Different kind of receiver. Doesn't have that quick twitch that Bowie has, that explosiveness that Bowie has. He would give us something totally different than anything we have on our roster right now. So I am strongly advocating. No one listens to me. I don't get a vote on this situation, right? Like I don't get a say in this. But man, please, dear Jesus, let's keep this guy on the offensive side of the ball and give him a chance to make some plays and make our offense more dynamic. But yes, we should be extraordinarily excited about him. He's a top 25 prospect overall in the 2022 class. A long way to go there. Obviously, I feel really good about us hanging on to him because he is from Georgia. He is from Bainbridge, Kirby's hometown. So I feel really good about that. He's an elite playmaker. And even if he ends up on defense, he can be a really good cornerback. I'm not saying he can't be. He can be. But I just think we have more of a pressing need right now for dynamic playmakers on the offensive side of the ball. And that's where I put him. But regardless, we should be very, very excited about Deion Bowie. All right, Charlie, is that it? Well, I lied. It never happens, I swear. So we had a question just sent in, and it's from Sam. He wants to know what player on the Florida team outside of the two Kyles worries you the most for the cocktail party? Oh, no doubt. It, it's Kadarius, Tony. This is a guy that is, speaking of Dion Bowie, similar players. I think Dion Bowie's a little faster than Kadarius, Tony, but they both have that quick twitch ability. If you get Kadarius, Tony in space, he is he is very, very tough to handle, and I will give Dan Mullen credit this year. Coming into this year, I don't think they've made use of Kadarius Tony. I think their utilization of him was really lacking. It left something to be desired. Now, he did deal with some injuries last year. You got to say that. But this year, they have found a way to maximize this guy's skill set. They're using him in screens, jet sweeps, getting him the ball in space, and letting him make plays. That's what this guy does. He is extraordinarily difficult to handle in space. He's got that kind of jitterbug, quick twitch ability. That's really tough to tackle in space. Not the fastest guy, but plenty of speed. And he and Kyle Pitts are just a nightmare tandem to deal with out of the slot. Again, they're not necessarily elite out wide, outside, with their outside wide receivers. It's the middle of the field where they really do all their work. And it's mainly Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Tony. Those are their two dudes. So Kyle Pitts is really good. Kyle Trask is having a really good season. But Kadarius Tony is another guy that's going to be really tough for us to match up with. We already have so many issues out of the slot. It's one of my big concerns in this game is like our slot pass defense from the star position 
it just hasn't been great for a couple of years now. It's fine. And it's a tough spot to defend because they have a two-way go and you can't get your hands on them because they're off the line of scrimmage. It's tough. But Florida hurt us with that last year when they, when they made their comeback and almost were able to come back and win that football game. That's how they marched on the field in the fourth quarter and were able to put up some points. And you know they're going to do that again with Kyle Pitts. And now they got Kadarius Toney playing like he's playing. That's a really tough matchup for us. So it's definitely Kadarius Toney for me. No doubt about it. But all right, guys, that does it. Officially does it for us here today on the Week 7 Mailbag episode. We really appreciate you guys sending in all your questions. If you still have a question and you do, we're not able to get one in, feel free to send it to us. You can send it to us on Twitter at glory underscore UGA or email us at gloryugapodcast at gmail.com. And we'll try to work some of those questions in later on this week if we get a chance to. And at the very least, we'll, we'll answer your question on social media or through email. So hit us up if you got any questions. But thanks for listening, guys. We really do appreciate it. Curtis and I will be back later on this week with our official game preview for this 2020 edition of the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. You're not going to want to miss that. I know a lot of people are very nervous about our chances against Florida this weekend, especially coming off that Kentucky game, that lackluster win, and just considering our quarterback situation. I get it. I get why people are nervous and concerned about this game, this matchup. I completely get it. But we will break down this game from every single angle. We'll give you the good matchups, the bad matchups, and explain to you why we think that we might have more of a chance than you might think going into this matchup this weekend. Even with all the injuries, the quarterback situation, the offensive issues, there might just be some matchups that favor us that we can potentially take advantage of. So check back in later on this week, and we will detail all of that for you guys. But thanks for listening. For Charlie, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>